Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Are you looking for a non-judgmental way to prepare for childbirth, something that's evidence-based and is going to teach you all of your options? Talk about your pros and your cons and the risks and the benefits transparently so that you can truly feel informed. Well, I want to tell you about the Birth Lounge. It truly has no agenda other than helping you feel informed, understand your options, and stay in control during labor. It is all data-driven content by reliable research because I know that it's hard to understand your options and what you can and can't say no to in the hospital. I know that hospital policy is really confusing and it changes from hospital to hospital. So understanding your options in each scenario is going to be key to you having a birth that you love and avoiding birth trauma. I want to give you back control and I'm going to do that in the birth lounge. I'm going to teach you all of your options so that you can truly remain in the driver's seat. You can be the decision maker. You can feel confident making your decisions because you know the data and the science. You know what the research says and you know what the safe options are for you and your baby. Check out thebirthlounge.com to join today. Hey y'all, and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. All right, last episode we talked all about colostrum, what it was, when it forms in your body, why it comes in before your breast milk, how it is different than breast milk, what its uses are, and when you should start harvesting colostrum. I wanted to also dive into the how. You know, that's kind of my thing. I think a lot of people teach the what and the why. So what do you want to do and why do you want to do it? But very few people are out here teaching you the how. How do you actually do these things? How do you actually achieve your goals? So it's not just in the birth lounge that I have this philosophy. It carries through in all of my support of you. So today, I am stoked to be able to say that we have have Sarah Gregory and IBCLC on the show with me today so that we can talk about all things hand expression. We're going to dive into what you need to know about harvesting colostrum prenatally before your baby gets here. How do you actually do it? When do you start? The questions you need to ask your provider. 
Okay, I'm done. I'm going to hand over the mic. So, Sarah, welcome to the show. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Talk about this very exciting topic. So, I'm a board certified lactation consultant uh, and a certified postpartum doula. Um, I live in the North Shore of Massachusetts and I do home visits and virtual visits uh, for lactation. I was a teacher for a really long time, a public school teacher, and uh, I had two kids. And after I had them, I just decided that I really wanted to be involved in the birth space and specifically helping parents with feeding. So I did all my requirements, got certified, um, took my board exams, and now I'm a board certified lactation consultant. While, while I was doing my training, worked as a postpartum doula full time. And so I had the privilege of being in many different types of homes with many different families. It was just the best experience I could have ever asked for. And my experience as a, as a postpartum doula has just really informed my approach as a lactation consultant. So, you know, I'm not one of those like breastfeeding or nothing lactation consultants, because I know that feeding can look really different for all different families. So I work with people who are exclusively breastfeeding, chest feeding, combo feeding, exclusively pumping, like whatever, however you want to feed your baby, I'm here to support that. And so I just really love working with families to figure out feeding plans that are sustainable for them and are going to help them meet their goals and that are realistic so that they can be happy with what they're doing, but also enjoy this newborn time with their babies because as you know, you know, that it only happens once. So yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. That is perfect. I have to be honest. I've heard this before you guys. I already knew Sarah was super aligned with us. So I'm like, not shocked. I know you guys are like, oh my God, this girl sounds perfect. She is. She's absolutely great. So Sarah, let me ask you something. Your IBCLC, are you only people in Massachusetts? Are you allowed to see people outside of Massachusetts and people who live in different states? Is it important to find someone that is near you? Talk to us about that. Yeah, it's a great question. So I do home visits north of Boston and the North Shore and Seacoast, New Hampshire. And then I also do virtual visits worldwide. So depending on the issue, I might be able to see you virtually no matter where you live. You know, if you need hands-on help though, or you need, you know, want somebody who to come to your house and you're not in my area, then you can find an IBCLC anywhere. For most states, including Massachusetts, if you go to the website zipmilk.org, so Z-I-P-M-I-L-K, and you enter in your zip code, it will give you a list of different lactation supporters in your area. Nice. All right. That is perfect. Okay. So on the topic of sustainability, yeah, expressing milk, asking our boobs to do this, pivoting with whatever our body kind of naturally does, making sure that we're giving our body all that support can be a lot. That sustainability is really, really important. Hand expression, I think, in my opinion, is something that is not taught to many folk. And yeah. it is so helpful. It can actually be a really wonderful tool prenatally. So we'll get to harvesting colostrum. We'll get to that. But I want to dive into, so hang on guys. I know that's what you're here for, but just hang on with me. If you understand hand, hand expression, you will be able to better grasp harvesting colostrum. I promise it's a skill we need to hit first. So talk to us about the benefits of just hand expression, maybe um, maybe just in postpartum, how can we use hand expression? Is it just in those first few days? Um, how does that fit in if we're not interested in introducing any sort of pumps or anything? Yeah, that's a great point. So I always recommend prenatally that people 
learn hand expression, even if you're not really like getting any quantity, that's fine. Just learning the action of it. So when you are pregnant and then in the first days after delivery, you're producing colostrum, which is your first milk. And colostrum is this like this like superfood for the baby. It's it has millions of antibodies in it. It's really thick and like this really dark golden color. So the reason that it's thick, there's two really a couple different purposes of colostrum. One is so maybe when, when the baby first eats it, it's the first food that they get and it coats the inside of their gut. So it really seals in their gut microbiome and it prevents any kind of pathogens from getting in. This is also the first time that your baby has had to suck, swallow and breathe and try to master that skill, which is a really tricky thing when they've just been swallowing amniotic fluid for nine months. And so the way that the colostrum is designed in that really thick texture just makes it easier when babies are first learning how to do that. So we have this like really unique substance, but it is, it's, you can think about it sort of like as if you were like have a straw and a really thick milkshake and you're trying to like suck that milkshake up, right? It's really, really thick. It's like hard to get out of there. So your milk ducts and that are like the straw and the colostrum is like the milkshake. So if you use a pump in those first couple of days postpartum before your milk has really come in and transitioned, then it's sort of just like trying to suck that milkshake up the straw and it can be a little bit, it's just doesn't work quite as well. And it can make you feel like, like you're not being productive. So hand expression is a great tool to get that colostrum out of your breast. And then, you know, it's just a great thing to have going forward. So like, what if you're at work and you forget your pump? Like you have your hands. You know, what if, if the baby starts sleeping longer at when the baby starts sleeping longer at night and you don't want to get up and like hook up your electric pump, hand expression is a great way to just like relieve some of that pressure. So, you know, like pumps have their purpose, but we all have our hands available and ready. And it's just a lot of an easier technique and just a lot simpler. Yeah. So for me, I always find the people who are like, I don't want to introduce a pump. It's because they really want to prioritize breastfeeding and they typically lean towards maybe a more like nat natural or organic or interventionless type of, of support and lifestyle. Right. And so I always remind people, you can't get more organic than your hands. They're always with you. They were literally the first thing that we must have ever used to get milk out of our, our breast that were not our, there wasn't our baby, right? Like your hands, if you are thinking, I want to be all natural, these are so natural. So talk to us about the hand expressing before uh, your baby gets here. So there are a couple risks. We want to talk to our doctor. We want to make sure we are a certain gestation. What kind of things do people need to know? Yeah. So, well, first I want to talk about the benefits, if that's okay. Because I yeah, of course. So let's talk about some of the benefits of hand expression. I also would love at the end of this too, if you could talk us through maybe what that would look like and, and what sort of technique people um, should be trying to kind of to learn, right? Definitely. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I really like with hand expression is in those first couple days postpartum. So regardless of whether or not you're collecting colostrum and bringing that in, I always recommend that people in the first few days while your body's still producing colostrum before your mature milk has come in to do a little bit of hand expression after the feeds. And you don't have to do it every feed, like, you know, whatever is reasonable when you're awake and you're feeling you know, alert and you want to do a little bit of extra. So you feed the baby on both sides then do a little bit of hand expression. You can get just like a, a plastic spoon and the nurses can get you a spoon or wherever you're giving birth, you just get a little plastic spoon. I have like a little 
this is a little like colostrum spoon. Very cute. <laughs> so basically you can just, after you've latched on both sides, do a little bit of hand expression into a spoon and then you feed that to the baby and you can use a little syringe to syringe feed the baby. Sometimes you can just put it in the baby's mouth and they sort of lap it off the spoon. I really love that use of hand expression because I think of it as like an insurance policy. So it ensures two things. It ensures that the baby is getting all that extra colostrum that maybe they didn't get because they're really tired or something else is going on. And then it also gives your body a little bit of an insurance policy. So it's like, all right, baby's here. Like turn on the milk factory. Let's go. So just like, then you know, for sure, because one of the things about breastfeeding that is really hard in the first couple of days is like, you don't, you don't know how much the baby's getting. And there's lots of techniques we use to to monitor that and to see that when we're doing it. But, you know, by doing this, we just like make sure the milk is coming out of the body and getting into the baby so that your body is, knows to start making more milk. That's amazing. Our bodies are so smart. Okay. I do have a question that kind of popped into my head. Jumping back one conversation. Do you think colostrum part of it, nature's design, that it is so thick to help strengthen our baby suck since it is the first thing? Isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, there, it definitely is part of teaching babies how to suck and swallow the breathing part, right? That's the new part. Like babies have been sucking and swallowing in utero, but the breathing part is new post when, once they're, you know, earthside. So that they, those three things have to be really well coordinated. And so, yeah, they have to sort of use their, their strength and their oral, the proper oral function to draw the colostrum out and then swallow it and then breathe in that order. And so having that colostrum just really thick, just kind of like slows it down and gives them time to like figure it all out. Yeah. And I imagine that since it's so much thicker than amniotic fluid, it's going to work those muscles a little bit differently and probably deeper to just strengthen that up. That is so cool. Oh my gosh. Okay. All right. What else should we know about hand expression. When I think about hand expression, I think about it like long-term. I literally know parents who have been feeding for a whole year and they're still hand expressing at some points in their day or their night or their routine. It is just so versatile. Yeah, it really is. Like, I mean, you know, like we talked about the first days, you know, just getting it out, out of your body into the baby, letting the baby know like where the breast is. Babies are born with really poor eyesight. And so just hand expressing a little bit onto your nipple can sort of let them know where it is. Some moms just have better luck hand expressing than with the pump going forward. It's like some parents just like respond better to that, like physical hands-on um, sensation. So, and like you said, it's just, they're always there, right? Your hands are always, always there. So you don't have to have an extra like tool. You don't have to have a plug, you know, you don't have to have something you're carrying around. Like you just, it's something that you just always have with you. So it's, I agree. It's really valuable. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Shall we move to uh, harvesting colostrum? Because that's what the people are really here for. Everyone wants to know about harvesting colostrum. So let's talk risk and benefits. So a lot of benefits. You've already talked about kind of what colostrum is, but I'd love to know about benefits of hand expressing, particularly prenatally, in order to collect the colostrum. And then also some things that we should be aware of. We should be a certain gestation. We should make sure to ask our doctor. There are questions that we should kind of make sure before we start doing this kind of stuff. What do people need to know about collecting colostrum prenatally? Yeah. Well, the first thing is just like you're saying, you definitely want to check with your doctor. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about risk factors, but you want to make sure that it's it's an okay thing for you to be doing. 
And generally the doctors will okay it around 36, 37 weeks gestation. So like, you know, a few weeks before you're due, that's typically when people will start collecting colostrum. So you know, we'll talk about how to do the hand expression, but a lot of people will do it like in the shower or when they're nice and relaxed. I do like to point out too, like it's, it's great. Collecting, collecting your colostrum is, is wonderful, but if you are practicing hand expression and you're just getting like a little glisten or like a couple of drops, that's fine. Don't worry about it. It doesn't mean anything about your supply. It just means you haven't had the baby yet. And so your body's not really producing a lot of milk yet, which is fine. <laughs> you have lots of varying degrees of success with colostrum collection, but you're still getting that great hand expression practice. So it's totally worth doing. So the reason that we like to suggest colostrum collection besides the practicing of hand expression is so that you have some of your own milk to bring with you to the hospital in case the baby needs supplementation. So there's lots of different reasons why babies might need supplementation that's medically necessary. So the biggest ones are jaundice, hypoglycemia, you know, losing too much weight after birth. Those are kind of the top three usually the people that require supplementation. So your typical options in a hospital setting, if those things happen, would be formula. Some hospitals have donor milk, which is pasteurized human donor milk that other moms have donated. Or if you've brought your own colostrum, then that is also a great alternative to those other different types of liquids. And so, you know, you, there's, there's lots of different ways you can collect it. There, usually I recommend hand expressing, and then you can get like a one, this is a one milliliter syringe and you can get these on Amazon. They sell them with little caps on the end. And so you can just hand express into like a spoon and then you just sort of suck it up into this. You put the cap on and then you put it in the freezer and then you sort of collect them throughout the, you know, the day or over the, the last couple of weeks. And then you bring all of these in like a cooler bag, all frozen with you to the hospital. Maybe breastfeeding, everything's going great. Like maybe, you know, there's no need for supplementation, that everything's fine. Then you can just take them home and you can use them at another time. It's still full of all those great antibodies and everything like that. But it's just kind of, again, like a little bit of an insurance policy for you. I have a million questions. So <laughs> we're just having to go down the list. Um, yeah. If you don't use them in the hospital, can you bring them home? And does it make sense to give them, to save them for your baby when they maybe get a cold or they get sick and we can add them to those bo those bottles almost as like a little booster? Yeah. I mean, all breast milk is great for when babies are healthy, but also when they're ill. You know, a cool thing about when babies get ill is that their saliva goes up through your nipple opening into your breast and then your breast starts making antibodies for that specific illness and passes it back out. Just really cool. So definitely don't stop breastfeeding. Like just yeah. keep on breastfeeding. But yeah, I mean, it's like this magical elixir, this colostrum. So absolutely, like you would never throw it away. You definitely can give it to the baby at any point in time. Yeah, that's awesome. Okay. You know, we most commonly see it when babies have that weight loss and mm -hmm. parents yeah. are kind of suggested to introduce formula. A lot of people will, you know, either wish they had the colostrum or have the colostrum and very grateful for it. We don't very commonly see the donated breast milk option mm -hmm. for babies with weight loss, for NICU babies, for sure. But we kind of struggle to find it for just babies for weight loss. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Colostrum. So many cool benefits. Okay. Yeah. And particularly, I recommend it for people who are a lo basically a low risk pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so there's 
certain people in particular too, who would really benefit. So if there's anything going on with you medically that might put you at risk for low supply or for delayed, for your milk being delayed when it comes in, those people. So scheduled or a scheduled C-section, an induction, people who have like any kind of limited breast development. So if you feel like, you know, if somebody's identified something where your breasts are really different size, or if something is like, you know, it's something, somebody, a medical person has told you that something is going on with your, how your breasts developed. If you had breast surgery in the past and particularly people who have diabetes of any kind. So type one diabetes, type two diabetes, gestational diabetes, almost all of the studies done on prenatal colostrum collection are on people with diabetes because it can be such a beneficial thing to do because they're generally, you know, obviously if they're not high risk, then it can be really, really helpful for them. Usually people with, with diabetes, the babies are at higher risk for hypoglycemia, which is low blood sugar and jaundice. And they're also at a risk for uh, delayed milk coming in. So kind of all, a lot of those things that we talked about that this colostrum can mitigate in the hospital. Also for moms that have been diagnosed with gestational diabetes, breastfeeding lowers their risk of developing diabetes later in life. So we want to do everything we can to promote people who have diabetes with breastfeeding. And so this is a really great tool for that. Wow. Okay. And in terms of bringing it to the hospital, parents are typically kind of responsible for that themselves. And we always suggest our people just bring it in like an insulated cooler or lunchbox yeah. or something, something that can hold ice, yeah. uh, a little cooler if you want to bring like a little cooler and put some ice in. And the hospitals are usually more than happy to give you ice, but they're not going to store it for you in the, in the fridge or the freezer. So you should know that going in. What's your experience with that, Sarah? Yeah, it just depends on the hospital. Some of them are really prepared for it. Some of them, some of the big ones you wouldn't expect, apparently, like you go in and they have no idea what to do with it. So I totally agree. I think you just need to be prepared to to take care of it yourself. So, you know, if you live close to the hospital, you could certainly keep it at home and have somebody kind of go back and get it if you, if needed or when you're postpartum or yeah, just bring, I totally agree. Like just bring a cooler bag with lots of ice, keep it in there. It'll stay frozen and then just bring it with you and kind of carry it around with you as you go. Yeah. Okay. So I'm going to give you like a doula belief, like a doula approach. And I'm, I'd love your opinion as an IBCLC about it. Okay. So we're looking at someone who is facing an induction, whether it be an elective induction or a medical induction. We know that nipple stim can sometimes help increase that Bishop score, not necessarily send you into labor, but increase your Bishop score, right? Help kind of soften your cervix. And people will often ask, does harvesting colostrum do the same thing? And so our response as a doula is, you know, the nipple stim is what we know to help in, in increase that Bishop score. If you collect colostrum along the way, that's an added perk. From an IBCLC standpoint, do you have a connection between collecting colostrum and um, maybe increasing someone's Bishop score or helping them have a more successful induction? Does that make sense from an IBCLC standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. I think that any kind of breast and nipple stimulation, there's been studies proving that it is great for getting your labor started. So like particularly when done close to your due date, when your uterus is really ready for those oxytocin receptors, then absolutely. I think it can be a great way to stimulate labor and to get labor going. Nice. I yeah. Our bodies are just so cool. Okay. Is there anyone out there that should not hand express or should not collect colostrum kind of prenatally? 
Yeah. I mean, like I said before, anybody at risk of early labor, it's just not a great idea. You don't want to do anything that could potentially kickstart that if you aren't, if that wouldn't be good for you and the baby. If somebody has been diagnosed with like cervical incompetence or has a cervical suture, probably not, would not be okay by your OB. If you have placenta previa, probably wouldn't be okay by your OB. So anybody, again, who's at risk for premature labor, that's, those would be the contraindications. Okay. And sorry, these questions are just kind of like jumping in my head, but how do we store colostrum kind of long-term? So let's say we do bring some home from the hospital. Mm -hmm. Is it good in the freezer for one month, six months, 12 months? How do we kind of know? Yeah. You just want to follow the regular breast milk storage guidelines, which are six months in a regular freezer and up to 12 months, probably in a deep freezer. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. This has been so cool. All right. Is there anything that I haven't asked about that you commonly hear about hand expression and and colostrum? So when we talk about the risks of colostrum collection, because you will hear people talking about the potential risks. So obviously we're not going to be doing it with people who are at risk for premature labor. That's just any risk is not worth it in that manner. So when you do any kind of nipple and breast stimulation, your body is releasing a little bit of oxytocin. So oxytocin is the love hormone. So it's one of the two hormones involved in breastfeeding. And so what it does is it causes muscle contractions. So this is a little biology lesson here. So when the baby first latches on when they're breastfeeding, they do this quick little like suck, 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 suck on the nipple. And that's what makes the muscles in your breast that surround the milk ducts contract and it pushes milk out and it's called the letdown, right? Um, But oxytocin is also related in all sorts of other things related to your body. So the thing that's close to this is that it is the hormone that causes contractions during labor. So the general risk thinking is that potentially it could trigger premature labor. So if you're doing this nipple stimulation prenatally, it could cause this oxytocin release, which causes the muscle contractions, which might cause labor contractions. So that's kind of like the the general like fear that you hear about it. There are some studies about both sides, which I'll talk about in a minute, but like we just think about it just from a like a logical perspective. So there are oxytocin receptors on your uterus and that's what allows your uterus to contract. But there's many fewer of those before your due date. So as you approach your due date and get closer and closer to your due date, there's a lot more of those oxytocin receptors on your uterus. So releasing oxytocin before that isn't going to be as impactful. Um, It's sort of the same reason why, as you probably know, giving Pitocin really early um, doesn't always work if the uterus isn't ready, isn't ready for it, right? So it's same sort of thinking. Um, And then we think about the other things that release oxytocin. So two big ones, one is sex. And we don't tell pregnant people generally not to have sex unless they're high risk. And then we tell them not to because of this. The other thing is that lots of people are nursing older babies. So if you're breastfeeding another baby, we don't tell you to stop breastfeeding that baby. Some people choose to, and your milk supply does all sorts of crazy things. That's like another conversation for another day. But lots of people keep breastfeeding their babies and they're doing that a lot more frequently than you would be hand expressing to collect colostrum. So like just logically, there's like a little bit of a yellow flag going on there for me. And then, so if we look at the different studies, so there's a few older studies from like the early 2010s that indicate like there was one in 2012 that I'll link to in the show notes that shows that 
Again, it was those women with diabetes. They were following them in their colostrum collection. And it showed that there were some babies from the people who did the prenatal hand expression. There were more of them were admitted to special care nurseries than the babies who didn't do the prenatal hand expression. And also their gestational age on average was a little bit lower. The people who did the hand expression, the, the gestational age at birth was a little bit lower than the people who didn't. But it was only a study of 94 women. So a really small study. The, the authors even admit that like the difference between the two wasn't st- statistically significant, that it just was kind of like a trend. So they said basically it warrants further study. There were a few other studies done around the same time in like 2013, 2011, that basically just said like, we need more research on this, like kind of found evidence on both sides. But there have been newer studies, which is very cool. So in 2017, there was a study called the DAME study that studied about over 600 diabetic women. And they found that there was no harm in in advising women with diabetes to who are at low risk to do prenatal hand expression starting at 36 weeks. Wow. Okay. That's pretty significant. And that's a really big group of people. (laughs) They found that the women who who did hand expression after 36 weeks did not give birth any earlier than the women who did not. They found that the babies whose moms did hand expression were no more likely to need admission to special care. And they found that the women who did hand expression with babies were more likely to receive breast milk in the first 24 hours after birth. And then there was another study also in 2019 that basically showed that same last point, which is that the babies whose mothers did colostrum collection were significantly less likely to receive formula supplementation in the hospital. So, you know, to recap it, like, yes, there is some evidence on both sides. When we look at the quality of the evidence, I think it's a little bit shifted towards one side. Yeah. But all the the benefits make so much sense that you're less likely to encounter formula and you are more likely to have breast milk within the 24 hours. You're less likely to have a NICU admission. It makes me think that, you know, if we just have some colostrum on hand, if you're able to, and there's no shame, this is not to say that people that don't have it, don't know about it, learned about it after your baby is here, tried and didn't really have that production prenatally, which Sarah said was totally normal. It's not to say anything bad about that, but if we have the means and we're able to take it in, I feel like OBGYNs and pediatricians should be encouraging this and educating people on this. I know a lot of doulas do do education around this, which is great. That's hopeful and that's really helpful. And I know a lot of us really try and and get our clients to be aware that this is an option. It would be really helpful if we had the help of the medical system to kind of disperse this information to everybody since we know that there are some pretty significant benefits. Yeah, I completely agree. You know, I teach prenatal classes and I bring this up and much of the time people have never heard of it before. And so, you know, I agree. I I do think it's also becoming more and more popular. I feel like the word is spreading, which is great. So hopefully, you know, if you do it and it helps, then tell your friends and teach them. Yeah. Once you hear this episode, you guys share this episode with your friends. (laughs) These are, these are the tips and tricks that, you know, are really such a big game changer for a lot of people. But the problem is not a lot of people know about it. Point today is just to help you understand that this is an option for you and that you have, you know, you have more options than just solely breastfeeding or solely pumping. Sarah, in her introduction, talked about many options that you have to feed your baby. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're feeling disheartened or you're feeling unsupported in your choices to feed your baby or you just don't really know where to go. Sarah, 
Sarah, where can they reach out to you? How can people work with you and get your, your opinion on, on maybe some steps that they could possibly take? Yeah, so they can visit my website. It's www.sarahgregory.com. That's Sarah with an H. And you can just send me a message on there if you have any questions. I also do, I do prenatal consults where I, you know, if you have any like risk factors for milk supply, any sort of hormonal things going on or breath history, breast surgery, things like that. I meet with people prenatally and we talk about hand expression. I model it. You can practice it during the consult if you want. So that's a great resource. Or if you're looking for a lactation consultant in your area, if I'm not in your area, please feel free to reach out and I'm happy to find you somebody that can work with you. Yeah, that's amazing. All right, guys. What a fun episode. And I know this was on so many people's mind. This is an episode that we get a lot of asks for. People are really interested in it once they kind of come across it. And I'm really excited to bring it to a bigger platform and and spread the awareness. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. This was fantastic. And we appreciate your time. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. All right, listeners, if you want to see us and you're listening to the podcast, check it out on YouTube. And if you're on YouTube, head over to the podcast for the full conversation. All right, guys, I will see you next week with another episode. Bye. Hey, before you go, did you know that there are a ton of benefits in having proper magnesium levels in pregnancy? Many Americans walk around actually deficient in magnesium, and pregnancy can make that deficiency even a little worse. So I wanted to share with you what I do to keep my magnesium levels at a proper level. So for me, I love topical magnesium. It comes in the form of a lotion. I can apply it anytime. I choose to do it after I get out of the shower and then also before I go to bed. Having the right levels of magnesium in your body is going to give you improved sleep quality. It can help alleviate aches and pains, those lower backs, those hips, the pelvic aches that come along with pregnancy. It can even help with morning sickness and edema, which is just a fancy way of saying swelling. There are even studies that show that magnesium can help prevent or decrease the risk of preterm labor. Now it is important to know there are many types of magnesium and you can do topical or ingested magnesium. For me, I love the topical. I don't have to worry about what I'm putting in my body and I personally use the brand Eight Sheeps. It's organic magnesium lotion. It is silky smooth when you go on. It's so hydrating for your skin and it works miracles. When I am feeling sore, I also have tight hips. I can put it directly on the spot that needs some love. This is perfect for your hips and your lower back and your pubic region anytime you have those aches and pains in pregnancy. For bedtime to get better sleep, you can put on the back of your legs or the back of your arms as well. There's a lot of different uses. And again, having the right magnesium levels during pregnancy is essential to having a comfortable and easier pregnancy. You can visit 8sheep.com. That's the number eight and then sheep like the animal.com and use the code hehe 10 to save 10% off of your first purchase. Again, that is 8 sheep.com with the code hehe 10 all right see you next week bye y'all thank you so much for tuning in today i truly do value this community and i love hanging out with you if you found today's episode helpful share it with a friend share it with someone who might also find this information helpful 
I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to The Birth Lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well, at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.